Today's scripture reading comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 to 42. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary, who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. This is God's word. Good morning. Um, What's up, Macav? Y'all tell me, you know, uh, it's been, it's always a a pleasure to come and uh, to share the Word of God with uh, Mac Avenue. I'm always bragging about Mac Ave uh, and Crew Inner City, uh, the ministry that I'm with. We uh, network, partner, serve about 110 churches now uh, across the, uh, the city. And MacAv is one of the ones I'm always bragging about. Because whether you realize that I was sitting there, you know, early uh, this morning when I was talking to Eric, that uh, you guys have a very visual, demonstrative, apologetic when it comes to uh, demonstrating uh, the gospel and its unity that it breaks, uh, it brings people together from different. Uh, race, cultural, ethnicity, socioeconomic backgrounds. And so uh, it's a powerful witness, especially uh, when you deal with things that happen in Charlottesville. And so whether you realize it or not, our prayer is that may your tribe increase, okay, across this city. Uh, so uh, that's just, you know, my, my encouragement to you. Uh, you know, it's good. You know, MacAv. last time I was here, you were still over at, um, in the school. So I see God has been good to you. <laughs> yes. Uh, man, y'all, all like, y'all, y'all living large up here on Harding Street, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I like that, though. That's good, y'all, uh, to see this. And, uh, you know, got y'all. I'm, I'm looking for a tour afterwards. You know, I know you guys got a lot to do, but I want to get the tour, okay, uh, afterwards here. But, um, so that's great. You know, I think the last since, since I was here last time, you know, my uh, my daughter Jessica, who's here, uh, got married, and she's here with her husband uh, Israel, our son-in-law, uh, and uh, we had a great time uh, on July the eighth. Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. I can remember the date. All right. Um, but uh, when I walked her down the aisle and uh, gave her hand to Israel, and then also it helped to perform the, um, the wedding. And, you know, I did real good up until the last point when I had to present her, and then, you know, I had to break down a little bit. But you know how that is. So, um, so and then, of course, Eric stole my thunder. You know, I always like to introduce my African queen, but that's okay, you know. Uh, that's Janice. We... Just celebrated a birthday with her. That's why they came up. I'm not going to say how old you are. I know, I know better after all these years. But we had a great time also on, the, on last evening as well. So, uh, again, uh, it's just great to be here. Now, when Jenny contacted me by email, she asked that, you know, he was going through this series about 
uh, influential passages and themes that have really ministered uh, to me over the years. And there's one that uh, my wife knows that I have probably preached, taught uh, this over the years in crew. And basically, if you don't remember anything else, repeat after me this. The most important thing in life is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. There you go. Uh, that's why I entitled that, you know, introduction, uh, the main thing. The main thing. Uh, I know I appreciate my brother praying, but let, can I just pause just for 30 seconds? It's kind of a habit. I always like to talk to God about men before I talk to men about God. And that includes women as well. Father, thank you indeed for this great opportunity to be here with these brothers and sisters. We ask now, as you've been so faithful, I know your word is already blessed. So I don't have to ask you to bless it. I just pray indeed, God, that may I be the kind of communicator that the Holy Spirit can work through now, able to do what you desire to do in each person here. It's a divine appointment that we have with you today. And so we commit this time to you in Christ's name. Amen. You know, one of the things that uh, I'm excited about uh, today, I believe the Detroit Lions uh, kick off their preseason. Now, I should have got an amen from all the brothers in here, okay? <laughs> but, uh, you know, uh, and, you know, I just kind of been looking forward, kind of waiting. It's just something about football season, okay, that I really enjoy. But then when you think about it, in the game of football, there is no game without the ball, Think about that. I mean, that, that little pigskin is real important. I mean, you think about it. I mean, touchdowns are, are, are determined by where that ball is, whether it crosses the goal line, right? You know, you think about first downs. It's also, it's, it's by how, you know, they measure first downs based upon where the ball is. You, you are onside, you're offside or onside based upon where you line up according to what? That ball. You think about the passes, those great catches that I'm so used to seeing Megatron, which no longer exists now. But anyway, uh, catch, you know, but it was a complete pass is based upon whether you control the ball. So it doesn't matter indeed how great you look in your uniform, your helmet, your gear, your cleats. If you don't have the football, you don't have football. Well, I think it's the same way in the Christian life. As followers of Jesus Christ, you can attend, I don't care what the finest church is, you can have the Christianese down, you can have the biggest Bibles, I don't care what. But if you don't have the main thing, is Jesus Christ and his gospel. And so I think, you know, we need to be reminded of that as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, that the most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing. And so, you know, when I think about uh, this, I turn to, you know, the Gospel of Luke. And I just want you to know, I love Luke. This brother here, this Gospel writer, I mean, there's no, um, and nothing against the other Gospel writers, Matthew and Mark and John, okay? But, you know, Luke's my man. Matter of fact, you know what? I am convinced now, I like to walk around, so, you know, so excuse me, I know, I know this is kind of like, you know, oh, here we go, all right, but yes, 
I got to keep you woke, all right? Um, this is the woke church, right? Okay. Um, but anyway, so one thing I like about, you know what? I'm convinced if Luke was alive today, he would be on staff with Crew Inner City. I'm serious, you know? Because you know what? Luke, out of all the gospel writers, writes more about the marginalized, the poor. He lifts up women, which in that day was really something you didn't do. I mean, Pharisees, people used to pray, pray as God, I think of that I'm not a Gentile, I wasn't born a woman. But Luke lifts that up in a way that is incredible, his heart for the poor. No, it's also interesting that since he was, you know, Paul refers to him um, as a doctor in Colossians chapter four, around verse 14, I believe, you know, the, the respected, the beloved physician. But you know what? Something I didn't realize. I did a little background study that in the first century in the Roman Empire, most of the doctors were slaves. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. That when you do the research, matter of fact, uh, at the end of the first at the end of the first century, um, Emperor Domitian put out a, a decree that the, the profession was coming so full of slaves, says no more slaves can be doctors in the profession because it's full. And so I'm not saying that Luke was a slave, but perhaps because it was so full that most of the physicians were slaves and then later would be freed. And so that also tells me something. But if that's the case, why he has such a heart when he writes about the marginalized? Because it takes one to know one. Uh, and so, but you know, Paul talks about him. He's a, one of the, as he, uh, it, they meet kind of in the second missionary journey of the Apostle Paul. And from there, he's a constant companion. And some believe that, you know, we're not for sure what that thorn in the flesh uh, was that Paul had, Paul had. And I've heard all kind of, you know, uh, ideas. But uh, it could possibly be that Luke traveled with them to be able to take care of whatever that condition was. And it was like, you know, when, when Paul writes about him uh, in his letters, he kind of starts out, you know, where, you know, I have my, uh, my fellow friend Luke. And then later on, when, when, he, when he's in prison there um, and he's writing the book of Colossians, he talks about Luke being uh, a very dear, close. Matter of fact, he says, only Luke and Demas is with me. And then in Second Timothy, when he's writing his last letter, he says, man, all have deserted me. Only Luke is with me. Mm-hmm. That's why, you know, I, I would, I mean, as I say, if he probably would be on staff with Crew in the City and a member of Mac Avenue Church, okay, if he was alive today. All right, okay, how about that? All right. Mm-hmm. And so that's why, you know, I, I, I love Luke, okay. But um, beginning to, you know, our, our, our message of the day, I want you to see, though, just a, real quickly, sort of a, a bigger context of where Luke 10, 38 uh, through 42 falls. Because uh, when you, uh, it's interesting that when, when, when Luke writes uh, from chapters 1 up through chapter 9, though know, he talks a lot about, you know, the birth of Christ, and he mentions some, some things that other gospel writers do about the life of Christ. But it's interesting that when he gets to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it takes a turn that he focuses on the Jesus' last journey to Jerusalem 
from Luke 9, verse 51, all the way through chapter 19, it's all about that last journey, the last six months of Christ's life. And so that Jesus focuses, moves from just a lot of miracles and, and, and publicly proclaiming who he is to more of a sharp focus on his disciples, on teaching. So that's why it's interesting. It's no coincidence, I think, that um, after in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, when it says, And it came about when the days were approaching for his ascension, that he resolutely set his face to go to Jerusalem, that at the end of that chapter, it talks about dealing with half-hearted discipleship. And, you know, these guys that come with all these different reasons. Yeah, I want to be your disciple, but I want to be your disciple, but... And Jesus says, no, you can't. Uh -uh." And then he moves into chapter 10 where uh, he sends after 70. And and so I I almost titled this uh, dynamic discipleship. I'm setting this up now because you see what it says, confidence in Christ. You know, when he sends out the 70 uh, into the towns and cities that he was going to go to, uh, you know, there's something about and. I, I know that, how many of you ever been involved? I know here at Mac and on Saturdays, I think it's when y'all do evangelism. I mean, it's not just on Saturdays, but particularly, there's this really evangelistic outreach you do on Saturday mornings. You changed it? Okay. Well, see, see, it's been a while since I've been up in here, okay? But I, I just know, probably maybe not at Mac. I'm sorry, not at Mac Avenue. But at the other 109 churches, okay, that we network with, when it comes to doing evangelism, people say, ah, oh, nope, that's not me. I just rather live the life. And I always say, well, okay, well, how many people have come to Christ since you've been living the life, okay? Uh, you got to say something. You got to have the yes. You got to certainly have a visible witness and a verbal witness. And so when Jesus sends this out and when God commissions us, it causes us to place our confidence in him. Our circle of confidence grows as disciples. So that's why God gives you these assignments, these callings to expand your circle of confidence like he does here. We don't have time, but you know, but that's what, so that section there, uh, all the way through verse 17, and they come back and they are high-fiving and going, hey man, even Satan we kicked this behind, you know. He says, okay, hold up, hold up, hold up. <laughs> that's, that's good to know that, but you should rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Okay, don't, you know, don't get it twisted up here. Okay, but then, okay. But as disciples, to be dynamic, we grow in our circle of confidence, but also we got to have compassion. And only Luke mentions the story of the Good Samaritan. And he has, a, you know, it's kind of interesting that Luke has a way of, of uh, in all of the Gospels, he writes that those who should get it don't. And those who should not get it, get it. That's the story of the Good Samaritan. The Levite and the priest, they see this brother, he done got jacked. Didn't he, huh? Sitting on the road, standing right on the road there. And they're on, they on their way to church. And you know how it is, you know, you, you coming here to Macab, you see somebody, oh, no. I don't know what's up with that. You know, it could be, you know, somebody uh, playing a trick on you. 
And so the Levites and priests, what they walk by, and then Jesus says, a Samaritan. That's like, in our day, saying, an atheist walked by and saw him and showed compassion. As disciples, as we grow in our confidence in Christ, I thank God, though, that we need to still have a heart of compassion for those who have been marginalized, the underserved, the forgotten. And so he shares that. And so that whole story there uh, is about the idea of showing mercy, uh, i.e. compassion. That's so important. That's what I like about MacAv. You know, you guys are definitely involved in a lot of, you know, assignments that grows your confidence. But at the heart of it, you still never forget about uh, the marginalized and the underserved. And you need that as well. But there's a third element, which is what I want to, for the few minutes I have left, I got to talk about. <laughs> and, uh, there's confidence. There's compassion. But then you also need communion with Christ. That's, that's, now that's discipleship in 3D. Hmm? Hmm. You ready for it? Huh? You sure? Okay, well, let's take a look at it then. All right. Um, and so, um, begins in verse uh, Luke 10, verse 38. We call that the invitation. You can put that slide up. I think that's where that next slide should be. Yes, there we go. It says, now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. The invitation. I love that. As, as, as Luke writes, as, they, as Jesus is on his last journey to Jerusalem, which is about six months from the time that from 9, chapter 9, verse 51, up all the way to when he gets into the last week. Um, while, while they were on their way, they entered a village. Now, we know from other sources, this probably was Bethany. This is where Mary and Martha lived, right there outside of the Mount of Olives. So it wasn't just a few miles, really, outside of Jerusalem. And he says, a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. Welcomed. Hupodekamai in the Greek. It's the idea of dekamai to receive hupo under. The idea is to receive one under your roof. It's the idea to show hospitality, to welcome. It's like when we first, as disciples, we, when Jesus came knocking on the door of your heart, and what? You welcomed him into your heart, into your life. You said, Lord, and, and, and so... Now, again, I know MacAv is not this way, but those other 109 churches that we work with, you know, they got folk who know they'd be like this. Yes, I accepted Jesus into my life, but you only stay in the living room. Don't go no further. <laughs> only one room, okay? <laughs> and so don't be going into my, just like, you know, if you were to, you know, after you've heard me preach and you said, Pastor, I want to invite you over to our house for lunch. Hint, 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 hint. Okay, no. Um, and I come in there with my wife, and, and we sit down, and you said, make yourself at home. You know, don't we say it all the time, make yourself at home. But do we really mean that? <laughs> Think about it. 
If I was to say, okay, if I was to get up and I go into, open up your closets and go into your refrigerator and go up into your bedroom, you go, you, you probably call 911. I got a crazy preacher in my house. I turn around and said, well, look, you said make yourself at home. Well, you know what? When we said, Jesus, I want you, I want you to be not just my savior, but my master, my Lord. We're saying, make yourself at home in any area of my life. Go to any closet, go in any dresser, pull it out, rearrange it, do whatever you call it. Welcome to receive. And so Martha is excited that Jesus and his homies, his posse, the disciples, have stepped up in their house. The invitation. And so you cannot be a full-fledged disciple unless you have this the attitude, make yourself at home in my life. The way she does. And so now, uh, when that happens, you know, when it comes to discipleship, I've noticed that, you know, there's, there's doing and then there's being. Or is there's serving and becoming. Or usually the responses here. Uh, and when it says here that, uh, verse 39, she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. You see, there's going to be, see, there's one where Martha is in the kitchen. She's excited. I mean, she's getting her cook on. She's got those greens boiling and that mac and cheese. And, you know, she's got that cornbread coming. They got that peach cobbler. I mean, she's got, I mean, girlfriend is at it. <laughs> and her sister is doing what? Someone says she's chilling. No, no, no. No, it says that she sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. Now, only Luke, again, he brings out one of these stories that's only in all the four Gospels. He's the only one. Traditionally, typically in the first century, not just in the first, in Jewish culture with rabbis and they would have students. But guess what? They were all males. And the typical posture for a pupil would be, yes, to sit at the rabbi's feet. But here's a woman sitting at his feet, listening to his word. That's the posture, I believe, beloved. And Luke lifts up, I'm glad a female that shows this. This is the posture we need every morning when we come before him. As we begin our day, it's there. It's like I got to, you know, I, before I can make it out to work, before I hit the bus, before I go anywhere, I got to have this date with the Lord. And I got to sit at his feet and just to listen to what he wants to tell me. You know, and you can't do it rushing. You know, I mean, now... I thank God for devotionals. I remember early in my Christian life, I used a lot of devotionals. But as you grow as disciples, 
you want to become a self-feeder from the word. What I mean by that is, you know, just like we let the kids go. Now, we expect that when kids are little, how you, you know, you feed them, you, you fix their meal, and then what would it look like if uh, I had to come along, I had to feed all of y'all? Come on, open your mouth. Come on, come on, huh? You'd be going, hey, man, you tripping, you know? As an adult. But God wants to be self-feeders. We open up the Bible, the Word of God, with those, the Holy Spirit, and I'm listening as I'm reading, and God is speaking to me. Like Mary. But no, that takes some time. You can't do that a five-minute quickie, okay? Just won't get it. It'll start, it's good to start there, but I know that this church emphasizes discipleship. Well, I know that desire all of you to become self-feeders from the word. That means you gotta carve out some time, more than just five minutes. So that you can hear his voice. Silence. Our culture is obsessed with noise. We got to have something on radio, television, texting, Facebooking. What's those others they have? I can't think. Tweeting. Yeah, okay, thank you. Huh? Yeah, I, I mean, always something going on. <sighs> Snap, was it Snapchat? Someone said, okay, thank you. Yeah, right. Um, yes. As soon as we get up in the morning, then we got to <coughs> see what's going on, right? Well, beloved, I'm not, and I'm not against it. I, you know, I, I'm not as engaged, but I am on Facebook. I do have a Twitter account. I do email. But I just realized, you know what? In the morning, we got to have quiet because I got to sit at his feet and listen to what he has to tell me because that's how I grow and develop in that invitation. But then you move, something happens uh, in that next uh, section there. Next slide. The irritation. The irritation. Verse 40. But Martha says, was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Then tell her then to help me. Girlfriend got an attitude now. Uh, this is going to be the diary of a mad Jewish woman, okay? Uh, Martha. Okay, it says that what? Distracted. The idea in, in the Greek is that idea of one who is pulled away. The verb there. Woman who's not distracted, but is pulled away by something else. And, and so she's in there in the kitchen and she sees that marriage totally out of her lane. Because that's, 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 that's men folk. You should be here in the kitchen helping me get, you know, my greens and say what, collard greens and, you know, mac and cheese and the yams and the cornbread and all that and the kosher meat, okay? <laughs> and so you know how it is, ladies. The sweat is popping off, and she's looking over there, and she's looking at all that she's got to do. And stuff, you know, you know what? What's wrong with that? And plus, that's, that's, that's your little sister. That's your younger sister. You're the head of the house. And it says, she went up to him, meaning to the Lord. In other words, she just interrupts the session. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah. It ain't like she waited until that was a break time. I tell you, girlfriend is mad. Nah. And so that's why she, she, she interrupts the whole teaching session. And she says, well, Lord, do you not care? Now, hear me, beloved. She asked the God of the universe, <laughs> do you not care? Well, have you checked his portfolio lately? I mean, of course he cares. There was 5,000 he fed. You remember that? All the lepers he's cleansed, all the blind he's given sight. But you know what? When we become angry, and anxious, we say things out of character all the time. You know you've been there. I know you've been there. Well, you've been serving here at Mac, or maybe just at your home, and you feel like things are not going your way. You say, God, don't you care? Why would you let that happen to me? Why my car gets stolen for the third time? <laughs> Don't you care? And so it's not like, you know, we're a lot like Martha. When, 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 when she says things like that, and I love girlfriend, she says, even before Jesus could say something, before he could respond, she says, well, tell her to help me then. All right? <laughs> I mean, she's mad. <laughs> the irritations. That happens, when the most important thing in life is no longer the most important thing. It's really a, you know on the dashboard of your car when something's wrong with the engine, a red light comes up? The grumblings, the complainings, the irritations is nothing but the red light on the dashboard of your soul. <laughs> Saying, you need to look under the hood. How's your relationship going with the Lord? How's your time? And most, I guarantee you, we have, uh, we've, we've allowed that to slip away. And we've been confused. Our serving for Jesus, thinking that will, uh, will be the same as actually uh, listening and communicating and being with Jesus. Doing for Jesus not the same as being with Jesus. And a lot of people get it confused. I've been guilty of it as well. And so, um, the next slide. Move from the irritation to the insight. The insight. Verse 4 to 1, but the Lord answered her, and I love this. Remember, you know, the question was, Lord, don't you care? When Jesus says, Martha, Martha, it's really interesting what that colloquialism word is in the Jewish culture. When you wanted to communicate a sense of intimacy, a sense of affection, that you really love somebody, you would say their name twice. And then we say things like, oh, honey child or sweetheart, baby girl. But they, they would repeat a person's name twice. And Jesus does this. 
Because he wants to, because he says, she thinks, you don't care. Oh, yes, I do care. Martha, Martha. Of course I care. I created you. I love you. But, here's the thing. We also, true, authentic, godly love always carries with it the truth of the word of God. And he says, you are anxious and troubled about many things. But one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen a good portion, which will not be taken away from her. The insight. Question this morning, how many things are troubling? How many things have you been complaining about, grumbling about, even this week? Maybe even this morning. When you woke up, that irritation there, that's in your soul, that's in your life. Jesus reminds us that what is essential, not that serving is important, but it comes out of an overflow of our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's the picture here. That it's out of our relationship with Christ that the overflow of our serving comes. And so yet, Martha, yes, you want me to rebuke her and send her back in the kitchen because, one, she's out of her lane in the first place. Jesus says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because you think about it, no matter, uh, it's, in this case, it's really it's faith before family. Because Christ has to be first and foremost in all of our lives. Because whether we realize it or not, there's going to come a time, even in family, you will be separated. Whether it be by death or some other thing, we can always be together. But you'll always have Jesus. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let's get it right. Don't get this one twisted. And matter of fact, it really helps you to serve better when he is on the throne of your life, as we used to say in Campus Crusade teaching. Throne check. We should go around. Who's on the throne of your life? Let me see folk getting off. We need somebody to ask us that sometimes, okay? Do a throne check. Who's on the throne of your life right now? The way you're acting, responding. Uh, and so when he says, you know, Mary has chosen the good part, which will not be taken away from her. Nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Can I say it again? Nothing can ever separate us. It can never be taken away. But everything else is temporal. And so God's trying to help us in terms of our dynamic discipleship. You got to get this one right. Their communion with him. You remember um, another gospel, the gospel of John, where uh, it's interesting. In John chapter 21, right after uh, the end of John chapter 20, where John writes many other things that 
that, that, that the Christ has done. But it, he says, God, if we were to share all the things. He, he says, I don't think there'll be enough books in the world that could, that could contain them. And then he goes to chapter 21 and he writes about this scene with Peter. The disciple that had basically blown it. You know, impetuous Peter who had decided and had led a number of other men back into the old profession of fishing. Remember, they had been out there all night in that chapter fishing and again, hadn't caught nothing. Early that morning, they see Jesus. They didn't even recognize him at first. But he says, children, you know, have you caught any fish? And of course, nobody says anything because they know they haven't caught anything. He says, put your net down on the right side of the boat. And then, of course, you know, they catch a tremendous number. And Peter, reckon, and that was John, it says, the disciple and Jesus love recognizes it's the Lord. And as soon as that Peter, who was halfway dressed, puts back on his clothes and jumps into the water. And he starts doing, he's doing the backstroke, butterfly, whatever, to get there. And, you know, they sit down and they have breakfast. Now, here's the question. If you was counseling, how do you restore a doubtful, discouraged, damaged disciple? If you were his counselor, what would you do? Well, you know what Jesus does? He really asks him only one question. After they've had breakfast and they sit down and he says, Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? <laughs> Do you love me? Goes back to the communion with Christ. That's where he targets at. Because you know that it's our, our relationship with Jesus Christ again. He had to bring Peter back to that. What the most important thing is that the most important thing remains the most important thing, Peter. You forgot. Do you love me? That's what, God, that's what God wants to know even today. Do you love me? The first and great command, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then after that, he says, then, you know, feed my lamb, sir. But that's to come out of your love relationship. And even then, Peter says, you know, Jesus says, agapao, do you love me? Peter says, well, I phileo you, Lord. Uh, man, I got warm affection for you. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. You're my boy. You're my, you know that. Matter of fact, you know all things. So I came up in line because obviously if I agapao you, I would not have denied you. So let's be real here. And then a third time Jesus says, well, Peter, yet yeah, do you even phileo? Their brotherly love, Philadelphia. You know, I believe... It's not that we have to have perfect love for Jesus because none of us in this earth suit will have perfect love. But God wants to know, is your love real? Is it real? Peter didn't have a perfect love, but I think he really had a real love for Jesus and he wanted to please him. That's the challenge. So that's, that's the, is your love real? Well, if it is, then a couple of things application-wise that I get out your way. 
John Calvin said this. It's not on the, on the screen, but he says, no man will steadily persevere in the discharge of ministry unless love for Christ reigns in his heart. No man will persevere, steadily persevere in the discharge of ministry unless love for Christ reigns in his heart. How do you do that? Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, it's interesting, it says this. Paul writes, As you gaze at his glory, you're changed into his image by the Holy Spirit. As you gaze at his glory, we are changed into his image by the Holy Spirit. The process we call sanctification, where God is making us more into the image of Jesus Christ, is not something that is passive, it's active. What we have to need, he says, intently look. When do we find the glory of Christ? Well, I think one place for sure you can find it is in the Gospels. What it would be like if Mac Avenue, everybody, every member chose to, for the next month or so, we're going to focus on one gospel. It would be the gospel of Luke or Mark, and we're going to gaze at his image. We're going to meditate. We're going to allow this to soak in on all of us so that our confidence... Our, com- our compassion and our communion grows. So I think it begins wherever. It begins with, where do you see that glory? I think it's best seen in his word. And I think we all need a healthy dose of the gospels consistently in our lives. Reading, studying, meditating on the word of God. I think secondly, um, you know, this, this context here is interesting that uh, in chapter 11, we won't look at that, but verses 1 through 14 is about prayer. It says that disciples walked to him and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. They were saying Jesus praying all the time. And so communion with Christ is, yes, allowing God to speak to us, and then we speak to God. And so that's our prayer life. It's our time in the word and our time in prayer. There's nothing complex about it, but you look at every godly man and woman who has ever walked the face of this earth. They have made this a priority. They have persevered in these two areas here of their time in the word of God and their time in prayer. They have guarded it. And they've made it a priority over the years. And that's why God uses them and why God will use you in discipleship. Don't get it twisted. Our doing can never replace being. We all need that own personal relationship with Christ that we're cultivating. Thank God for Eric and all the elders and all the leaders of discipleship groups, how they model it, how they pray for you, how they exhort you. But you must become a self-feeder from the Word of God. 
There's so much that God wants to show you. So much he wants to reveal. But you got to make it a priority. Be still. Block out the noise. And let him tell you how much he loves you. And I'll close with this. You know, from time to time when I fly, I enjoy flying uh, for the most part, except for the turbulence. You ever been on the plane, you know, when you fly and you, have, and you experience turbulence? And, and it's just, you know, I've been on some where, you know, the turbulence has been, you know, where the plane drops, you know, or, or you know, it's doing this. And I just noticed when it, you know, it's like everything is going smooth. People are talking, laughing. When, when there's turbulence, <laughs> everybody... Noise literally shuts down the conversations, and I tend to, you know, sort of tighten my seat belt a little bit more, and you know, and hold on to the chair because I'm just, you know, I'm I'm nervous, okay? Because, man, you know, turbulence. I don't know where the plane. I don't want the plane to fall. But then, all of a sudden, a voice comes over the loudspeaker, and it says, "This is the captain." And uh, yes, we're experiencing some turbulence right now, and so we're going to go to a different uh, altitude so that find some more smooth air. After that voice comes on, things begin to calm down, and people get kind of give. I, at least I know I do. I'm not as anxious anymore because I've heard the pilot's voice. Our world is in a lot of chaos. There's a lot of turbulence going on right now. And if you be careful, you can be sucked into that same vortex. But that's why it's important you need to hear the pilot's voice. That can only come when you're in communion with him in his word and in his prayer. Doesn't mean that the the problem's going to go away, but it means that you're okay. (laughs) despite whatever the turbulence might be in your life. So, the most important thing is what? God bless your heart. Thank you.